This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook, Volume 2, and today is July 26, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. My name is Al Montag. I was at Hofstra Radio from 1990 through 1994. Well, welcome back, Al. It's always a joy to talk to you, and I dare say you sound as good, but probably better than you did when we met back in 1990, which is to say you always sounded good and you made the rest of us question our our reality. Well, I, I, I appreciate that, but I guess I've made some progress, which is good. Um, my mom would be proud, which is good. All right. Well, well, progress is good. Ab- absolutely. But you, uh, you started at a high level and, and you were always an inspiration, also a source of jealousy for those of us who didn't sound as good as you. So uh, I, I appreciate that. Um, all right, let's talk about the stuff you did at Hofstra Radio. What titles or positions did you have? I, I had a little bit of everything as far as titles. I, I did uh, Good Morning Hofstra for a while. Uh, there was one summer where everybody vacated the campus and there were two or three of us around. So I was station manager for one summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was continuity director for a while. I'm trying to think what other titles. I think those were the real big three. I, my thing was, I, I was never really great at management. Mm-hmm. I was uh, more focused on what was going on the air and that was kind of my focus. So I, I really did keep track of that more than trying to get a management position, which I guess is good for everybody because as I said, I'm not that good at managing things. <laughs> um, so I think sophomore year, our sophomore year, you were continuity director, right? Sounds then- right. That summer between sophomore and junior year, you were the the summer station manager, and yes. was it was it that fall that you were the host of the morning show? That sounds about right. You are a way better historian than me, uh, but that sounds about right. And then senior year, did you do the morning show again? I might have. I I think I did it for at least part of senior year. I by senior year, I had gotten a job at a commercial station uh, on Long Island, so. I was a little more focused on that and uh, trying to get my uh, my final credits done to get out of college. So I'm not sure I did a whole lot latter half of senior year. So it's, it's possible I did the morning show for the beginning of senior year. Okay. I was trying to work out the timeline between your time and when Joe Romano did the morning show. So, um, okay. Well, I'm sure it'll it'll come out uh, as, as we talk about things. Let's go back to, to sophomore year and you get the job as continuity director? Were you applying for that on purpose or was it sort of like, here, do this job that no one else wants to do? No, I was I was the eager beaver out of high school, I, getting into college and, and getting into WRHU. I wanted to do everything I could. Uh, any job they would give me, I would do. I would be chief bottle washer, but fortunately, uh, continuity director became available. So I, I did, I, I applied for that. I think I applied for everything, but as a, as a continuity director was the one they trusted me with. So uh, I did that and that was, that was pretty cool. Look, it was, it was a position on the board at a, at a radio station, which for me, little, uh, 19 year old, uh, radio wannabe guy was, uh, was pretty cool. Pretty cool. Mm. And what did that job entail? It was keeping track of the logs, making sure, uh, public service announcements got aired properly, making sure they were actually in the studio, uh, the carts that were, uh, the, housing of these uh, public service announcements. There was also, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, there was a live copy book that had the the PSAs that would be read, uh, read uh, live by the announcer. So I had to keep track of those, make sure that uh, things weren't uh, out of date and uh, make sure they made sense for, for what we were doing, made sure they, uh, they applied to our audience. Okay. I'm going to put I'm you on the spot here. Oh, boy. Because I, if anyone's going to remember, I think it would be you. Oof. Can you recall any of those PSAs or pieces of copy? Because you were a walking encyclopedia of radio copy, whether it was our station or others. You would spout off liners and promos and ads, uh, you know, like you'd rehearse them all day. And perhaps you did. Do you remember anything? Yeah. Uh, As far as, wow, specific copy. I'm trying to think. Um, I remember everything was the ad council. It yeah. was brought to you by this station and the ad council. Yeah. Specific copy though. Yeah. I, 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 we probably had a smoky bear. Yeah. Smoky bear script in there. Yeah. Be careful about the, uh, the forest fires. Hmm. 
I was just I was just taking a shot just in case you remembered something because oh, um, yeah. I I can do I can do the sign off copy because the how many times I did airwave and and signing off at 3 a.m i can remember the sign-off copy and i'm sure you could do the sign-on copy probably but i remember yeah something about channel channel 400 we're broadcasting at 88.7 megahertz with uh 470 effective radiated power something like that yeah channel 204 with a transmitter output of 240 watts and an effective radiated power power of 470 watts. watts oh man um, okay. So you get through sophomore year and you're on the air. Were you working commercially at that time yet? Would, did you have any pro gigs or was still I didn't just get a pro gig. Yeah. I, I didn't get a pro gig until, uh, 1993. So that would have been uh junior year, late, probably late junior year. I got a call from uh, a Hofstra alum hmm. who, uh, who said, Hey, how would you like to do overnights at our little radio station here in Medford? So, uh, I said, yeah, that'd be cool. Let me do that. So I did that. That nice. was, that was the first commercial gig. Was that Mike Larkin? That was Mike Larkin. That was Mike Larkin, uh, called me up. Uh, I, I probably was doing an air shift at one point, got a call said, Hey, yeah, I'll, I'll come in and audition do what again. I'll be your chief bottle washer too. Cause yeah, that was neat. Right. I mean, here I am in this now funny thing is much lower quality equipment than we had really? at Hofstra at the real station, not real size, real in quotes, you know, commercial station. They, they had kind of older stuff from what I remember. And, and Hofstra, we had all brand new state of the art things, at least in uh, the control room where uh, we just gotten that brand new shiny whiteboard. Right. Right. So that's, that's sort of the time period between leaving Memorial hall and going to the new place. Oh, well, I, I never left Memorial hall. I, I don't, remember any of that because i was gone by then i think that was that was right after i left okay yeah okay um okay so we're finishing sophomore year and you're thinking about junior year and beyond um were you thinking about the morning show did you talk to sue zizza about doing that at all and how did you wind up being the summer station manager i i remember talking about the morning show i remember talking to sue zizza and i remember talking to steve spencer about it Mm-hmm. And we had put together a clock and, and what we were going to do and, and what we were going to focus on and, and what topics and the music we were going to play. Remember, we played new age music uh, on the morning show. Oh, wow. I forgot about that. Then that lasted. I'm not sure how long. I don't think it lasted very long, but I, I remember playing new age music on the morning show. I think uh, Steve might have been a fan of that. He may be a fan of new age music, and that's why we did that. Um uh, and the topics were were very much more like an NPR kind of format, like long form, mm. long form news stories, long form you know public interest stories, that kind of thing, as opposed to the rip and read uh, from the AP wire. Did you do a morning show that summer, or was it you started in the fall? I think I was on in the summer too. Wow. From what I remember, I, I was on in the summer because summer is, you remember, there were all the commuters there. So it was you and yeah. Mike Brahadka and, and a couple of people that lived locally and a lot of people didn't. So they kind of just said, see you later. We'll be back in the fall. See you in September. Okay. Um, so yeah, it, it, was, it was a lot to be done over the summer. And who, who were you hosting the morning show with? Oh, it was Pete Vasquez doing uh, traffic. It was me. I want to say it was Dave Fawpel. Dave was in there for a stretch. Didn't you do a stint with Keith? Keith was there too. Yep. Mm-hmm. Keith, I remember doing a stint with Keith. Keith, actually, and we're, I, I'm going to jump a little ahead here. I know we had talked about uh, stories. There was a good story with Keith, so we'll, we'll get to that. But uh, okay. yeah, Keith, Keith Hannon was definitely there. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else. Was Pete? Keith might have been this, just those four of us. Keith, Pete, Dave Fawpel, and me. Okay. That sounds about right. Okay. Um, That summer you were station manager. Um, That was us going from sophomore year to junior year. And that's, that's when Jeff Krause took ill. Yes. Um, Yes. And he had appointed people for the summer and was thinking ahead of the fall. And um, as I remember, he was supposed to go for surgery. And at least, you know, from, from my point of view, I don't think many of us students thought anything real serious was going on. Uh, right. but then he was, he was absent 
from the station physically. Uh, I know he would call in once in a while. What do you remember about those times? Do you remember uh, much of that? I remember it just being a very tumultuous, I guess is a good way to describe it, because there was kind of nobody in charge except for us. Mm -hmm. uh, Sue says it was very busy and uh, dealing with Jeff and, and his his caretaking and the fact that we had really nobody at the top because Jeff, when, when I first got there in 1990, Jeff was WRHU. Yeah, he was, that was, you walked in and that was, he was WRHU and there was just no way around it. Uh, the voice, the presence, uh, everything, you know, a, a funny thing about Jeff, I didn't realize how young he was. Right. I just didn't. I thought in my 18 year old brain, I thought Jeff was a 65-year-old crotchety right. <laughs> curmudgeonly, curmudgeonly guy, but no, he was young. He was very young. He you know, if if I if I do the math right, when we met him, he was our age now. Yeah, he's younger he than we er, are now. Er, early fifties. Yeah. I think he was fifty-two or fifty-three when he passed. Yeah, amazing. Uh, and and he just portrayed such a way more mature and and authoritative presence that uh yeah it was uh it was well, very surprising when i learned how young he really was well you and i could live to 250 years old each and i don't think we'd ever appear to be mature so true there's true. that thing but <laughs> i think, I think Je jeff had always cultivated that that uh that aura and uh, i in talking to people who were there in the 60s and 70s that he was always trying to project that air of someone who is a little bit older and more mature. And that was, that was his, his business front. And then once you got to know him a little bit, you got to, you got to see the real guy inside of him. But yeah, no, I, I, I agree. When we walked in there as 18 year olds, I would have assumed he was, he was a fair bit older than his early fifties. It might've been the pipe or something. Yeah. I mean, he had the, he had the, the silver beard and the glasses beard. and the pipe and, and the voice of God. So Yeah. Yeah, I can get that. Um, so yeah, so we were set with running the station uh, largely by ourselves. Yeah, and that that was good and bad. It was it was bad because obviously the whole situation, the circumstances surrounding it, were sad. Uh, but it was good in that we really got the grad school course very quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, you guys are in charge. Make this work. It's a real radio station. It's broadcasting in the uh, you know tenth biggest market in the country. Have at it. Right, right. And it wasn't just make sure that the slots are filled and make sure that you know the the new music coming in got cleared. We had to deal with issues of uh, payroll and acquisitions and invoices and things like that. And and sure. some some of that fell on me as program director, but some of that was you and you know for whatever reason if if you know sue wasn't around and, and jeff obviously wasn't there it kind of fell to us to do things that i don't i don't know that either one of us were prepared for or signed up for no not at all uh certainly not signed up for prepared for i mean uh we just made it happen it was just one of those things that when you're in broadcasting i think when it when it's in your at least the the generation of broadcasters that we came from and probably the ones before us uh, that's your thing. You, you have to make sure that this radio station is doing what it needs to do come hell or high water. And, uh, you just do it, whatever it takes. And, and everybody is willing to be a part of that support staff and make it happen. So that's, that was also what was so great about uh, the group that we kind of came in and the class of, uh, I guess it was the, the class of 90, uh, when we uh, walked through those doors, it was, let's do this, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, and we picked up people along the way, and uh, you know, I don't remember exactly when Steve Spencer came on board, but we leaned a lot on John Caracciola for technical stuff. I, I, I'm sure that you dealt with him a little bit more often, and you were a little bit more comfortable with the the technology and so forth. But um, I seem to remember, uh, you know, when when things went wrong, and you know, we we leaned on John a little bit as opposed to where we might have ordinarily called Jeff or Sue. Uh, yeah. He was a guy who helped us get through. Yeah, he well, he was you know bubble gum and duct tape and and made it happen in an emergency when it needed to happen. Yeah, and and he was uh, I think pretty generous with his time and and bringing things over from WDRE and things like that. I have a specific memory, 
and I don't know if you remember this, CDs were relatively new in the in the studio, and we had the sort of the slimline CD players, and then a really big one came in that had sort of a like a like a dial, like a like it, it could slow down the pitch of the CDs. Yes, Does yeah, it, sound- it, looked like, it looked like a VCR from what I remember. Yeah, like old, looked like a big VCR. And you know the. Uh, when Jeff Foss would bring in those sampling machines, it was kind of a cross between those things, a VCR and the sampling machine. Yes. And I remember John looking at me at some point and saying, tell them they can touch this and touch these and don't do anything else with it. And I feel like we even put like a, a like a sign on it, like don't touch anything but the play button and this. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that's an invitation to be like, well, let's let's see what this thing can do. And, yeah, of course. What uh, does this button do? And you were so adept at, at figuring things out and trying things out. I didn't know if you recalled anything like that. I, I do. I, I, <laughs> I, I remember that, that gadget very, very well. Uh, and I remember uh, being a guest star on uh, Airwave with Mike Brahatka, who was also a bit of a, uh, a prankster and a, a bit of yeah. a mischievous uh, kind of, you know, yeah. DJ. Uh-huh. He, uh, his... Uh, his influence probably wasn't the best on me and mine, not on him, but uh, we did have a great time. We are messing around with new toys and yeah, I mean, nothing major, but boy, if you could speed up music, why not? Just cause you can, let's do it. Right. Right. So I think, I think some of those warnings were, were disregarded and, and I, I don't think we broke it in the first two weeks, but I think it was pretty close. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, probably I, as, I hate to admit, but as these things go, um, Okay, so let's talk about something that you always talk about when you talk about your time at Hofstra Radio. Is there a story that always comes to mind? The story that always comes to mind about that place is the the wall. The wall of little post-it notes with all the quotes on them. Mm-hmm. And I guess uh, we should probably uh, set up what that was. Yes. Uh, we, were, we were all 12-year-old boys. Mm-hmm. Some of us hadn't even gotten to be 12 yet, maybe nine or 10 year old boys. Anytime anything could be taken out of context in a innuendo kind of way, it would be written down on a little post-it note and stuck onto the column in the middle of the office. And that thing filled up pretty quickly. Yeah. And I tell everybody about it. It's funny because I'm in broadcasting today and we're just older now. It doesn't mean we've matured any it's oh God, really no, the same no. i mean now we've kind of got you know human resources to deal with but if you can skirt around that enough i, I really 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 want to put a a wall up in uh, my current office mm-hmm. i'm not going to do it but i think i should at, at the risk of putting you on the spot again do you remember any of the quotes that went up there or the style of them oh they were all sexual innuendo um gosh trying to think of a specific one not a chance but they were they were all just you know if you could take something another way it was taken that way and put up on the wall in in hysterically funny fashion but uh anything it didn't even matter right a nice right. platters if someone walked in with a bunch of records okay it goes on the wall right you know, that, it was just it was a source of entertainment the gift that kept on giving and i hope somebody saved all those things but i doubt it I, I had a few of them. I was just going through some of my old memos and things, and I thought I had some of them. I may have them tucked away somewhere else, but uh, there were definitely some good ones. And then and then some just malaprops and things that I think Don Dressler one day said something like, don't kick a gift horse in the teeth. Okay, yeah. That's, which, yeah. which makes me laugh to this day. Like yes, I, It was hard was to good. say that without bursting out laughing because that's just fantastic. That was, that was precious. There were, uh, yeah, just so many beautiful treasures on that wall. <laughs> <laughs> Less said about it, the better. I'll, I'll, I'll not ask for any more specifics. Um, are there stories that you forgot about or that you rarely tell about the station that are important to you or, or meaningful in some way? It, well, if I forgot about it, I don't know it. Um, no, but wow. seriously, uh, I, I do remember there was one pretty funny story that, that, that actually my wife likes to tell. Um, I was on good morning Hofstra with Keith Hannon. And I remember Keith was, uh, running the board at the time. I was in the little uh, announcer booth across the glass hmm. and I had just met 
my wife. She was uh, my girlfriend at the time, and I was going to be a real cool radio guy and play a request for her, mm-hmm. play a song for her on the radio. How cool was that? How romantic was that? Mm-hmm. So what did Keith Hannon cue up? All I want to do is make love to you by heart. <laughs> that wasn't what you intended? No, it wasn't what I intended. <laughs> Not only... And, and I had, I had told my girlfriend about this at the time and she was so excited. She called her mom and said, mom, dad, listen to what's going to happen on 88.7 FM. And that's what happened. So it's a, it's a good story. It's one that my (laughs) wife likes to tell probably more than I do, but, uh, was funny. That's a great story. I didn't, I didn't remember that. And it's surprising that Keith was running the board. That was usually your thing. It probably should have been my thing, at least that day. Yeah. Yeah, I could have gotten into trouble. So do you remember what song you were you were going to dedicate? Oh gosh, no, I don't remember. Oh <laughs> but come it was, on, you do. <laughs> no, I really I'm trying to gosh, what was it? It could have been anything. It could have been and I don't remember, but that was the one that came up. Okay. That's a great story. That's a great story. <laughs> I you know, the 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 matchup of you and Keith on the morning show. I don't quite remember how that happened, but that's, that's, if you're talking about radio people, you two are at different ends of the spectrum. Again, I remember you walking in, you were one of the first friends I made at Hofstra and at the radio station. And I heard your voice coming out of your, your 18 year old face and went, what? That guy's, (laughs) that guy's a professional. He sounds fantastic. And then you had Keith who came in through the chain of network that it was, it was Christy and Frank Rizzo and, and Mark Giordano and those guys. And Keith wasn't a radio guy at all. I mean, he was great. He did all kinds of shows and he did the morning show with you for a long time, but Keith was not what you might want to call, you know, slick sounding on the air. How did you, but he was funny. He was funny though. He, he was, (laughs) I mean, whether it was self-deprecating funny, which he was very good at, or just, you know, just dropping a one-liner here and there. It was hysterical. It, it worked. It, for some reason, it worked, I guess. I, I, I wish I was trying to remember how that matchup happened. And I don't know if you recall or it's just sort of, you know, serendipity. And Keith said, sure, I'll do it. Or, or it was just. It might have been a little of that. It also might have been that Hofstra is a commuter school. Keith lived locally. So he was there. Mm-hmm. That might have been it, too. Yeah, Certainly. I just I, I love I love the sound of you guys uh, together again, Keith, with the one liners and maybe not necessarily being able to say all the things he needed to say and you sounding uh, so professional and smooth. It was a uh, it was an interesting uh, matchup, I thought it was fun. It was certainly fun. I, you know, I guess they, they've done things similar in the uh, professional world, you know, where you have the. Uh, the straight, uh, whatever announcer guy. And then you have some goofball. It worked. And I actually, uh, a little further on in history, I remember Dave Koenig and Butch doing the morning show. Yeah. And it was the same kind of thing. You had Dave polished broadcaster and Butch was, you know, coming in with his bells and <laughs> whistles and who knows what. And very, very, very funny. You know, and it just, it works. Yeah. Yeah. Butch was always the wild card. You really didn't yeah. know where he was going to come from. And um, I've talked to, to both of them a little bit about it. And I, I, I thought about getting together because Dave and Butch were both very funny guys on their own and had very specific kinds of senses of humor. And they didn't always match up. And no. I remember some mornings driving in on my way to class or to the office and going, ooh, that's awkward. Or how are they going to get out of this? And they always did. And it was always entertaining. And maybe because you know, I knew them better. I could sense tension or sense, you know, maybe Butch is, is pushing buttons, but, um, it always made for interesting radio. Well, that was the thing. Butch would just say what came to his mind and Dave would get uncomfortable. And it was funny Mm -hmm. to experience that secondhand embarrassment a little bit. Mm -hmm. And you usually played the straight guy on the, on the morning show. And, you know, Dave Foppel was always very funny and Pete, could be a little off the wall at times and Keith. So were, were you ever the clown? Were you ever the guy who made the wacky noises or? I never really made wacky noises. It was tough because yes, those th- between those three, 
trying to corral them into something that was professional was was a really big challenge but it was a lot of fun uh i never really was good at the you know the the clown noises and the i was never really good at that i i wanted to make sure we you know again early on now i, I think things have changed a little bit i've gotten uh, older but when i first started i always thought that you know that you're the broadcaster and you've got to make sure you hit traffic and transit on the ones you know and that kind of thing and that was that was really my my goal and what i tried to do but yeah trying to corral dave Fopel, pete vasquez and keith at the same time <laughs> it was it really was juggling a lot of uh, a lot of balls in the air which we could write down on a note and put it on the wall there you go that's 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 classic wall material well done well done al <laughs> so so that that sort of seriousness of purpose because you weren't always serious i mean god knows we laughed Oh yes, a million oh, yeah. times, and that's that's a leading question coming up. But did you have a sense that you wanted to sound professional on the air because you wanted to get that that call from Mike Larkin or someone, or or was just that's what you knew radio to be? Where did that come from? Was that an intrinsic thing? Was that just your personality? I think it might have been all four. Uh, I had always just listened. I, I was a big fan when I when I first moved up to New York uh, to go to. I, I'm originally from Florida. We moved up to New York to go to college and I discovered WCBS and 1010 wins yeah. and just how smooth and polished they are. And it just, you know, everything was exactly on time. You never heard a mistake on the air. So it was some of that that I, I kind of mixed in with, yeah, you know what, if I do that, maybe someone will call me and I can do that. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I guess on the air was a, a different mindset when that, Mike went on it was like okay now it's time to be serious and and then do our thing and I if I had to corral the other guys well that was fun too but yeah for me it was always like I got to just make sure this sounds as perfect as possible and then forget even having a second of dead air that's not even an option right so yeah yeah I mean I I I hopefully I'm not puffing you up here too much but I mean I just always remember you being oh no very please do please, please continue <laughs> being very at ease at the board and knowing the equipment. And even if something wasn't working, you could still carry on a conversation and switch, you know, a CD to another machine or get another cart in there. You just always seem to have this, this presence and this sense of what you needed to do. And it was, it, you know, we, we all got better over time, uh, you know, and, and to a point where we could do those things, but it just seemed like you always had a sense of, you you could write the ship through a storm if you needed to. I think it was fight or flight, like mm. the, the whole time. Well, I th I think you know. Uh, all joking aside, I think you put a lot of effort into sounding good and being prepared, and and that shouldn't go unnoticed. It's not like you just walk, you know, woke up at fifteen with this voice. I think you practiced. I think you listened to things. I think you had a critical ear, and that you thought about things before you did them. At least mo yeah, in most I cases. For sure. Yeah, for sure. I, I did. I practiced a lot. I had a, a little Radio Shack mixer at home and I would connect CD players to it. And I had a microphone and I would do, you know, just phony shows. I would do uh, the whole shift if I uh, had the uh, time to do it. Uh, so, yeah, I did. I, I kind of honed the craft a little before I even got into doing it at a, a real place with had uh, that had real equipment. So it was like, all right, this is similar. I can do this. Hmm. Um, when it comes to your time at Hofstra Radio, is there a song or an event or a story, or is there something that really defines your time there? Hmm. An event. Wow. Um, I'm trying to think 1990 to 1994. It, I mean, I, the big thing was, I mean, the, the election in 92, that probably mm -hmm. was, was pretty big, you know, watching, uh, the way that. Dave Mock, the, the consummate professional, uh, that he was handle that, uh, that, that was probably the big thing. I re I remember election night, 1992 and, and working on that and, and just seeing the way Dave handled it like a complete pro. I remember there was uh, oh, another great story. I, I don't know if you remember this, the, uh, the profanity that, that made it to the air oh, <laughs> during wow. that somebody yeah. called up, some, somebody had called up on a cell phone. I think it was one of the reporters 
and, and like we were dealing with, I guess, analog cell phones in that day. So it got something just glitched. And then it was some guy talking about one of the candidates about how he never did anything with the other one's wife and blah, 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 blah. And it was <laughs> profanity galore. And I remember Dave mocked us and said, okay, we're having some technical difficulties from board of elections. Let's move <laughs> on. And you just, you know, like nothing happened. It was perfect. But uh, yeah, that was probably the biggest uh, news event. Biggest uh, thing we had covered was do election night. That was a, that was a whole, whole ceremony party. Do you remember what you did that night? What, what was your role? I think it was more technical. I, I pretty vaguely remember running the board or, or you know, getting data to Dave, getting returns to Dave while he was anchoring in the, uh, the multi-track room. Cause we had, we had the whole radio station taken over for election night. It was, uh, it was a big deal. And, well, that, uh, that, that's what I was hoping you would say, because my memory, I think I had to work that night. For some reason, I didn't call out sick. I don't know why, but I knew Dave and Joe and yourself and, and Sue had prepared so well. I was listening at work and then I came in and I seemed to have a memory of walking into the main studio with you behind the board and Dave and Joe, if you look to the left where the where the tape machines were, that yes. you could see through the glass to them in the announcer booth for multi-track. And yes. they were running things there. And I wish I could remember who was in the announcer booth. But I, I, I remember walking in and everything sounded great in my car, on the, on the Walkman that I had with me. Nothing sounded out of place at all. And I walked in and I just seemed to remember you being sort of the maestro of the whole thing and watching and, and just taking a very contented sigh and saying, these guys are professionals. They are awesome. This is great coverage. And feeling yeah, really it, good about it, it. It was it was such a cool thing to be a part of, and I, I that might have even pushed me more further into uh, this is what I want to do because this was uh, a big thing. We were, if I remember correctly, didn't another commercial station take our coverage or something oh, like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. I it think was, I, was, I don't remember if it was GBB or someone else, but that for ninety two, I'm pretty sure other people were taking our feeds. For yeah. that, And then I think the next year, Dave Mock had set up sort of a network where our feed would be on multiple Long Island stations in Nassau County. Yeah, they that, were that taking sounds our right. Reports, um, because we were just we were just so good. And when I say we, I mean you and Dave and Joe and the field reporters and uh, just just the way that you guys dealt with whether it's obscenities on the air or you know whatever it might be whatever breaking news everybody handled it and was prepared it was it was spectacular i'm glad you it really that was that well. it, it yeah. really was. and we had great leadership and we can't uh short sell that i mean the people that were watching and making sure we did what we had to do and the fact that they were there and we knew they were there and we were trying to make them proud of what we were doing that was a, a huge part of it as well yeah. Yeah. I remember, um, Sue was intimately involved in that and, um, yeah, just, just so many people were, were really on top of it. And it was just a classic example of what we could do, um, as students running, uh, a non-commercial radio station. I think, I think we we're as good, if not better than, you know, the commercial guys that night. Yeah, we were way better. We had, and frankly, we probably had a larger staff. I mean, having, uh, been in the commercial end of it for, almost 30 years, I see the, the staffing that professional stations are using and we had more people. We probably had 20 people working yeah. on election night. Yeah. Multiple people at uh, different headquarters and, and, uh, the Marty and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um does, does that night or I don't want to lead you too much here, but w what's your biggest accomplishment or proudest moment at Hofstra radio? I, I think just I, there were so many. Oh my goodness! Um, the fact that we really did take something that was student-run and make it probably better than any commercial outfit at the time in a market that size. I mean, that's that's just you know, and on top of the fact that we had the the issues with uh, with management, Jeff and his health, and, mm -hmm. and we were kind of handling management on top of it, and none of us really had any experience. I mean, wow, we really did uh, just create something out of a, 
out of not a lot, we really created a, a masterpiece. Uh, and, it, and it really did take everybody. And I, I think the personal relationships between everybody helped a lot, too. I remember we were all friends. We were all just, you know, really a, a teammate and a friend and and even probably deeper than that brothers and sisters there were people that dated each other and our mm-hmm. staff mm-hmm. so it, it really was a close close knit group so uh, i think a lot of that helped as well and it, it really just it, it created a masterpiece i don't know if uh if we could bottle that that'd be great that would have been really wonderful yeah i i very well said i think it was a rather magical time and a magical group of people and again, some of that comes down to those relationships that we hung out outside. And it's not to say other groups didn't hang out outside and, and date each other and those things. But, you know, like you said, you walk in the office and you say something innocent and next thing you know, everybody's laughing and it's up on the wall or we're buying each other lunch or we're going out and, oh, you know, I'm going to do the show I'm filling in. Do you want to come and hang out with me? And I think everybody just pitched in at all times. And I don't know if that's because of the absence of Jeff Krause physically, you know, from the office once he took ill, or if it was just, you know, a, a you know, interesting matchup of personalities and, and, uh, incentives, you know, the people, I what we was, wanted. Yeah. I think might, I might've been the latter. I mean, it was, it's kind of like the Beatles, you know, you can have four guys that can sing and, and, and have moppy hair, but you're not going to recreate the Beatles. Uh, we read, you know, we had just such a diverse group of people and we were all just so tight knit. And it was, a, uh, it was, it was a family, you know, you, you were done with class. You didn't go back to your dorm or, you know, for the commuters go back home. You went to WRHU what's going on in the office and people would study there and people would hang there and eat there and sleep there. And people would kind of just do everything there. It became home. And I, I think that, uh, that created that family atmosphere, uh, that, that really, uh, just created lightning in a bottle, I guess. Hmm. Hmm. Um, you know, you kind of mentioned this the other, uh, you know, earlier that, that there was, there were a lot of expectations. There were a lot of things that we had to do as student managers that we maybe didn't expect. And you're getting up at I don't know, five o'clock in the morning every day or whenever you're getting up for, for the morning show. Is there ever a time where you're like, ah, this isn't worth it, or this is just too stressful, or I don't want to do this? Oh no, no, absolutely not. Uh, that, that's your, when, when radio is in your blood, it's in your blood. And I, I think we had so many people in that office that radio was in their blood. And even though, you know, some of them went on to do other things, uh, a lot of them did continue careers in broadcasting. I think once it's in your blood, it's in your blood. You don't want to leave because something got a little stressful. Hmm. I know we were always wondering when that phone call would come in, Mike and I would talk or whoever and say, you know, when's Al going to get the call and, you know, get hired by light FM or somebody and, you know, leave us. And and we were always kind of wondering, you know, when that was going to happen, but, but you were, you were a mainstay through those four years and, and, a, and a key part of, of getting things done. And this isn't on the, on the list of questions, but I'm but thinking about it. I know you were, you were working at BLI and, and doing other things sort of our senior year. Um, but what do you remember about the transition when, when Bruce Avery came in? Do you, do you have a recollection of, of what was happening at the station and, and what you were thinking at the time? Well, I remember it was just another transition time. I, I didn't really have, uh, much, experience with Bruce because yeah, as you said, I, by that time I had already kind of transitioned into commercial broadcasting and I had, uh, I think I had another job, another part-time job to, to pay the bills with. And, uh, I didn't really meet Bruce very deeply at all. I, I think I've met him two or three times and that was about it. Hmm. Was there something that you wanted to happen at the station, uh, for the station or for yourself or for yourself that you weren't able to get to while we were there. Yeah. You know, it's funny cause I always wanted to have a big professional broadcast facility, kind of like they have at Dempster. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know if they're still at Dempster, but when they had moved to Dempster and I saw that facility, I was like, wow, that's what we should have accomplished. That's really cool. So yeah, I wish I could have been there for that to, uh, to experience that transition. It was just, uh, the, the timing did not work. I was, uh, what about a year, year and change off. 
Yeah, really, it's the the fall of '94 when they're mm-hmm. they're fully taking over there. But we, you know, I have pictures, I have photos of us, you know, on the site that would eventually become the radio station, and we we were always wondering, well, what's what's going on? What's the delay? What's what's happening? And and uh, I'm sure. Uh, if if no one else yourself would have would have been right at home uh, in those new facilities right away. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I've I've actually never been to the facility. I, one of these days, I have to get back to New York and and uh, at least get a tour if they'll let me. But oh, uh, yeah, that was that was really something else. The pictures of that place, unbelievable. So so let's just say, let's just say you happen to be in Nassau County, and John Mullen gets a hold of your cell phone and says, Al, I need someone to come in and do a shift. Are you going to yeah. do it? Yeah, of course. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's almost what a silly time? question for you. Like, you know, there's a microphone, there's a transmitter. Yes, I'm there. But what time? What are we doing? <laughs> uh, that's what I was hoping you would say. Um, what's the funniest thing that happened at, at Hofstra Radio? Oh, is there a funniest thing? There were just so many crazy. What, what are things. your top five things? <laughs> <laughs> Gee whiz. Okay, top five things. Um, it's just some of the shenanigans that went on. I, I remember, you know, even down to the the simplest of you know, put somebody on one of the wheeled chairs and and shove them down the long hallway in Memorial. Mm-hmm. You know, see how far we could get them to go. Uh, Oh, geez, what else? There were so many things. I, I, there was one night when uh, Mike Brahadka and I were, it was about, I don't know, 10, 11 o'clock at night. And uh, I think Mike was doing airwave that night. And we thought it would be a good idea to broadcast from my dorm. <laughs> so we had to set the Marty up in, in my dorm. I mean, just stuff like, you know, that's shenanigans. It was just, it was shenanigans. But you know what? It ended up like, okay, well, this is how you do a live remote broadcast. It was a teaching moment. It wasn't shenanigans at all. It was it was part <laughs> of the plan. <laughs> it just so happened you were laughing the entire time. Probably, yes. Probably. But boy, you know what? When you turned on the radio and heard what we were doing, it sounded like it was supposed to sound. I, I just remember there, uh, you alluded to this earlier. I just remember there was always a feeling of... Well, what if we did this? How would that work? Should we do it? Yeah, we're going to do it. Is it going to be bad? No, it's going to be great. I just always remember there being a sense of, I, I don't know. Let's push some buttons and find out. And let's make it awesome. Yeah, well, what was the worst that could happen? You know, I mean, as long as you were maintaining, you know, FCC guidelines, we wouldn't want to be uh, raising the power of the transmitter or anything. No, know. no one ever did that. No. You wouldn't want to do that. You wouldn't want to, you know, Jesus. sign off and on when you weren't supposed to. Oh. You wouldn't want to do it like overnights. You wouldn't want to do that. Hmm. But, you know, yeah, why not? Who? What's going to happen? What's the worst that could happen? You'll have some fun. You'll learn something. I, I you know, uh, not to belabor it, but I just remember that being a, a fun thing about hanging out with you and whether it was something radio related or, you know, let's, let's go out and do something that you were always game to sort of like, I don't know, let's, let's see what happens. And that, that made it really fun. <laughs> it was, yeah, I, I don't know how I survived it, but yeah, it was fun. It was definitely fun. Um, what do you miss most about working at WRHU? Oh, all of it. You know, the, the, the innocence, um, the, the fact that you could, Hey, let's see what happens. You know, what are the consequences? There are no consequences. Uh, the, the learning and the, the, well, of course the, the personal relationships, you know, you can't even put a price on that. That yeah. that's just, that goes without saying, but yeah, all of it really, there's, I, I, geez, I'm not sure there's anything I don't miss. It was great. If I could go back, you know, to the, to the early nineties and spend a couple of days at WRHU. I think that'd be pretty cool. Hmm. If you could time travel very briefly and give 18 year old Al Montag some advice, what would you tell him? I Apple stock. <laughs> Not that. No. Oh, um, <laughs> you know what? I, I think I would probably give him the same advice that I, I kind of experienced, you know, try things, just do things. 
you know, what, what's the worst that's going to happen? You, you might learn something. Hmm. Obviously, our time at Hofstra Radio, your time at Hofstra Radio, is very meaningful to you. And I'm sure it's carried with you over the last 30 years, if you can believe that. It's 30 uh, did years, Al. Did you have to say it? Oh, my God. It's 30 years. I know. What, what, <laughs> what lessons, what skills, what did you bring from Hofstra Radio into your professional and personal life? Well, professional life, uh, I mean, it's, it's obvious I, I'm doing broadcasting now. I work as a news anchor in Miami. Um, so taking what I learned at WRHU and, and bringing it into the professional world, I mean, we, the, the, the funny thing is what I had to learn getting into the professional world was, oh, wait, the equipment isn't as nice in the professional world. <laughs> Let me go back to Hofstra and play with the brand new toys with the big CD player with the wheel on it. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I learned how to edit. I learned how to interview people, how to do an interview. That That's a skill that you really have to practice and, and hone that kind of craft. I learned that. That's I use that every day. Uh, writing, writing copy, writing uh, copy that makes sense and, and writing copy that's brief and, and the, or the right time, or if it's long form, then, then being able to flesh something out. Uh, learned that at Hofstra, all of these things, you know, every skill that I use in my professional career today, I learned at WRHU because I came in with really nothing. So yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's a, a, a no brainer. Uh, as far as my personal life, I mean, well, we, we still have, uh, personal relationships that I maintain to this day, you know, 30, almost 30 years later. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah. to, just to go back for a second, I wouldn't say you walked in with nothing. Like you said, you practiced, you listened, you knew what you wanted to do, which um, is, is not a rare thing, but it's not a common thing. I think you uh, knew what you wanted and you saw something in Hofstra and the radio station that could that could forward your uh, your career. And it's nice to see that you you followed through with that. Yeah, advance it. I, when I, I say nothing. I mean, no professional experience, no formal education about anything in broadcast. I never learned how to interview anybody. I never learned how to edit tape. I never learned, I mean, I learned how to write and read and, you know, an English class, but you know, it's, it's kind of a different skill when you're doing it for broadcasting. It's, it's, you know, the, just the style is different. You have to really learn all of that stuff. And, uh, you know, Hofstra was the place I learned all that stuff. I, I came in with none of that. Hmm. And, and, you know, immediately I feel like, especially you, you were in it. You were on the air right away. You were doing all the things, and and then before we graduated, you were you were on commercial radio, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm proud of that. Uh, yeah, getting combo cleared was was uh, that was my goal. I walked in, I was like, all right, can I get combo cleared this afternoon? No, you can't. You have to take classes. Okay, I'm fine. I'll take classes. Yeah, <laughs> I I really just kind of wanted to push it along very quickly, but uh, I mean, I'm glad that uh, there was that pathway because I that really does make a difference mm. I, not to be overly sentimental about it but i think becoming friends with you mike and i becoming friends with you and denise and kathy and your immediate entrance to the station because mike and i got cleared later on and I, I don't remember exactly what happened but we weren't on the air as soon as you were but i think you kind of pulled us through your friendship deeper into the station and we'd have lunch there and hang around and you'd say oh i'm gonna do this and and try these things that really pulled me in because i had no intention of, of making a you know a, a long-term investment in the radio station that was just sort of a yeah. side thing and i apologize and, for that no thank you thank <laughs> you sincerely we wouldn't be having this conversation today and and all these other conversations if it wasn't for your your passion for radio and your friendship and your generosity so uh, you know, thank you for that. 34 years ago, <laughs> just to make it worse. <laughs> I, just, I, I, I just got five more gray hairs saying that, but, but for, for your generosity and friendship and, and, and all that. And, and that's why we're talking today. So, so thank you. And thank you for sharing your stories. Oh, no, the, the feelings mutual. I mean, and, and again, you had the management experience and you had the ability to keep the car on the road where I might've like, wanted to play Billy Joel's honesty on rock solid 88, seven. And, uh, I had to be kind of, <laughs> I did happen. And it, I kind of had to be guided a little bit and, 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 you know, your management 
style was uh, the way to do that gently without saying, oh, you're an idiot. You don't want to play that on this show. It's just not what the audience wants. I hope I was gentle about it. I, I imagine I imagine that that you had a, a commercial radio sensibility and your music taste. I know we we busted your chops sometimes about your music taste. And Maybe a little. A little bit. A lot, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> you were you were listening to to music that was a little, let's say, older than than us. And not to say that there's anything wrong with that, but but you had a sensibility and and especially I, I meant to bring this up before. You know, in, in 91, 92, and, and the rock music scene is changing and the grunge revolution and commercial radio changed. You know, I talked about this with Dave and Jen and, and, and some other folks that in the 90s, the commercial radio changed. Yes. You know, oh, to, yeah. to suit the current music taste. And, you know, WPLJ changed its format and even Z100 changed its format. And you had a definite identity and sense of, of what you wanted to do and sound like. And that wasn't what a lot of the rest of us were doing. And so if I was overly or any of us were overly critical or just just uh, annoying about it. Um, no, 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 not at all. Sorry. Not at all. No, not sincerely. Not at all. No, I, I did. I, you know, again, part of being in broadcasting is knowing where you are, knowing your audience. And uh, I had to learn my audience. And uh, you guys helped me learn that. So I, I appreciate that. Well, well, you, you taught us a lot. And, and uh, in, in all the ways that you made it fun and interesting, I, I'm uh, so thankful and always will be. So uh, this is a lot of fun now. Thank you. Absolutely. I, when, when are we doing volume three? I did not have volume three prepared and now I'm five or six of these into this and it's so much fun. I don't want the conversation to end. Yeah. No, we need to do volume three. We, we need to do more. Maybe we need to bring more, more voices in or, or maybe we need to do these things in person. Yeah. I mean, well, we could except uh, for the geographical problems. I mean, otherwise it'd be great. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I do want to keep it going. So uh, if you've got more ideas, let's, let's do it. Let's, Let's get down. Let's go down a two track and push some buttons and make something happen. Make something happen. Yes. Let's do it. Thanks, Al. You're the best. Oh, you bet. <laughs>